0: Lord, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that our souls are consumed with a longing for yourself and a longing for your laws at all times. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we continue our series in Philippians, and we're in Philippians chapter 3. and. The Apostle Paul has been warning the church in Philippi about those people who he considers as dogs. In verse 2 he says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. And that is what we looked at last week. Uh, We looked at how these are people who are encouraging people to place confidence in their own works, in their own righteousness. And of course these people would be creating great division in the church if they are allowed to come in, if the Philippians do not watch out for them. And the Apostle Paul has been encouraging the church to be unified, and this is one way to maintain the unity that they enjoy is by watching out for those dogs. And he's going to continue uh, considering uh, this matter of works righteousness as as he proceeds in the following verses, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And the Apostle Paul even comments on the fact that he used to be one of those dogs. Uh, he used to trust in his own righteousness. He used to put confidence in his flesh. And that is what he says in verse 4. In verse 4 he says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, for confidence in the flesh, for confidence in my works. What did the Apostle Paul used to have such confidence in? What were his works that he trusted in? Well, he continues in verse four. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. What did the apostle Paul have confidence in? Well, he had confidence in his family background. He was someone who was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He was a true Jew of the tribe of Genuine, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Parents were Hebrews. He is one of the true Jews. And then, of course, he had confidence in his own keeping of the law. Of course, his parents kept the law in circumcising him on the eighth day, and so he had a great heritage from that, a beginning in keeping the law. Uh, but we see that as for zeal in verse 6, persecuting the church. Uh, he was someone who made sure that people honoured the Torah, the law, and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless and he says something similar in the giving of his history in acts 22 when he's on uh, when he's arrested at Jerusalem he says i am a jew in acts 22 verse 3 i am a jew born in tarsus of cilicia but brought up in this city under gamaliel uh, one of the uh, rabbis who was greatly respected I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you, the other Jews, the Pharisees that were there, are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, the Christian way, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went up there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished." The Jews at the time, they knew Paul used to be one of them, that he used to be what he now considers to be a dog. He was one who used to pursue the law with a great zealousness to the point where he persecuted those who appeared to be subverting the law, the Christians. But Paul gave up such confidence. He gave up such confidence in the flesh, his family connections, his works righteousness. He gave it all up. Why? Because it was easy to give up. No. Not everyone has such great family connections. Not everyone has been able to keep the law all their life like that. I mean, a big part of it when it comes to circumcision was, was your, were your parents faithful in keeping the law when you were born? Because you couldn't get yourself circumcised on the eighth day. It was all contingent upon your parents. Apostle Paul had that heritage. He was able to be zealous for the law right from a young age. It'd be hard to give up something that you poured your heart and soul into for so long. So, why did the Apostle Paul give up such confidence? Well, he saw his righteousness as a liability, as a loss, not zero, but actually a loss. And we read that in verse 7. Verse 7, he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's righteousness appeared to him one day as a loss, as a liability. It was like he'd bought a business as an investment and he'd worked hard at that business, but what had happened? He'd lost money rather than made money through the business. What Paul thought was in the black was actually in the red. It was a loss. What he thought was profit was actually loss all that time. But why does Paul give up now? Why did Paul give up? If it turns out that something you've ter- poured your heart and soul into has worked out to be a loss, do you automatically give up? If you bought a business and you're running out of loss for the first couple of years, do you give up? Now, a lot of people keep going. They push harder. They work harder. And they know at some point it'll turn around. I'll turn that red to black. I'll turn those losses to profit. So why did the Apostle Paul give up when he had such a great heritage, such great family connections, such works righteousness? Well, he gave it up because he found something better. What do we read in verse 8? What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. What did the Apostle Paul do? He gave up all that he had because he found something better. And don't we do that? We will often give up things, if that, things that we value a lot, if we find something better, won't we walk away from a great job that we may have worked in for decades, if someone offers us more money at another job, and another job that is much more inclined to our interests, of course we will give it up. Even if we poured our heart and soul into something else, we will give it up if we find something better. And the Lord Jesus uses this example in one of his parables. In Matthew chapter 13, he says, uh, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven and finding the kingdom of heaven, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had. I'm sure he valued all that he had had previously. But he sold it. Why? Why? He sold it and bought the field so that he could get that treasure. He had found something better. The Lord Jesus continues, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, everything he had. Surely he valued what he had. Why would he give it up? Because he found something better. What did the Apostle Paul find that was better? He found Christ Jesus, his Lord. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss, everything a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Apostle Paul had been attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ, been attracted to the fact that Jesus is God. He calls him my Lord there, the one who made him. He is God himself. The Apostle Paul was attracted to Christ. Why? Because of Christ's righteousness. Because Christ's righteousness excels his own. We even see the way that the righteousness is described in verse 9 that comes to Paul. It's in verse 9 at the end there it says of the righteousness that comes from God, out of God. Christ, God's righteousness itself. Apostle Paul looked at all his works, his keeping of the law. And then looked at Christ's Righteousness. God's righteousness, and saw that it so far excelled his, that his was considered to be a loss, to be considered rubbish in comparison to Christ's righteousness. And he also understood that Christ, Christ lovingly gives his righteousness to those who trust in him. We see that in verse 9 and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith he understands that the lord jesus is one who graciously gives his righteousness to those who trust in him who come by faith and so the apostle paul of course considers his righteousness his paul's righteousness to be a loss in comparison to The righteousness that he can have by faith if he comes to God by faith. And of course he understands that the Lord Jesus is one who powerfully gives eternal life, guarantees eternal life to those who embrace him. And we see that in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Apostle Paul has come to understand that Christ's righteousness brought about Christ's resurrection. And if that righteousness comes over to Paul's account, then of course the Apostle Paul will be raised from the dead as well. And so what he has been striving for by his own efforts can be guaranteed to be his salvation if he trusts in christ so of course paul considers all his good works to be what to be rubbish rubbish in comparison to knowing christ jesus and that's what he says in verse 8 What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. That word there in the King James, it says dung. It's this idea of refuse, something that is despicable, that you put in the bin, you flush down the toilet. It is rubbish to the Apostle Paul in comparison to what he has found in Christ Jesus. And so what is Paul like? Well, I think a good comparison would be a lovesick girl who has given up everything in order to marry a king. What has this girl done with her life? Well, she's desired to marry this king from a young age. She's wanted to live with him and know him and be loved by him. And she loves this king dearly. And so what has she done? She's worked hard to make sure it will happen. She's used her time productively and does much with herself. She's maintained her family connections. She considers them to be noble connections. And she has made sure that she stays on the right side of mum and dad so that her family connections make her palatable to the king as he would seek to align himself with such a noble family. What else has she done? Well, she's worked hard using her time productively, doing much with herself and making sure she acquires her own personal wealth through labour and maintaining investments with her money. But then what happens? She finally meets the king. But what does the king know? The king knows that this girl's qualifications, her family connections, all her wealth, all her works that she has done, they're actually liabilities. Why? Well, she's actually from a family of rebels and traitors. Her works, they've strengthened the enemy's kingdom, not her own kingdom, not the kingdom of the king. And her money, it's tainted. It's blood money. All that wealth that she's accumulated is worthless. It's like it's in a foreign currency that is worthless in the king's kingdom. And what else does the king know? He knows that her qualifications are liabilities, but he also knows that her confidence, her pride in her treasonous works Her treasonous wealth, her treasonous family actually makes her repulsive. The fact that she boasts about what she has, her connections and her works and her money, it actually makes her repulsive to the king. And so what does the king know? He knows that there's no way he can marry such a person, uniting the royal family with such a treacherous family. And he knows that the girl one day will have to be imprisoned with the rest, of her treacherous family as well. But then what happens? Well, the king shows the girl the truth. He shows her what? He shows her that her assets, her works, her family are actually, actually all treasonous, treacherous liabilities. He also shows her that her pride in herself has made herself ugly in the king's eyes. The girl is repulsive to him. He shows her that he will not connect his family with her. And he shows her that he cannot have her as his wife and love her. She will not know his love and care. And he shows her what? That he won't marry her, but one day will punish her, along with her family. But what does the king also do? He shows her these things. Does not let her live in ignorance, keep on working, acquiring wealth, maintaining family connections that are treacherous connections. What does the king do? Well, he offers the girl a hope. Abandon everything. Give it all up. Family, works, Wealth, give it all up. I'll pay your debts and I'll marry you. And what does the girl do? Does she reject the king? Try harder? I'll show him I'm worthy. I'll work harder? Well, many do when they're given this knowledge and the king offers them this hope, but not the Apostle Paul, who the girl's meant to represent. Not the Apostle Paul. What does the Apostle Paul do? abandons everything, gives it all up, abandons it all. Abandons what? Abandons the family, abandons the works, abandons the wealth. And more than that, what does the girl do? What does the Apostle Paul do? Considers her assets a liability, considers them rubbish, trash, dung, garbage. What do her family and friends think? Think she's crazy. See that in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul at one point is Said, your, your great learning is driving you mad. This girl, she doesn't care. Why? She's enthralled with the king. She loves the king so much that she will do anything to have him, even discard everything. Give it all up. Give up her family, give up her wealth, give up her works. And what's the king do when he sees the girl do this? And he sees her renounce all, well, he marries her. He marries her, pays the debt by suffering himself. He pays the debt and puts her in the black. She's no longer in the red. She's in the black. She doesn't have debts. She doesn't have liabilities. She has profit and credit to her account. And this is what the Apostle Paul did for the sake of Christ. He gave it all up. And this is what Christ did for the Apostle Paul. He gave up his life so that he could be right with god and what does this mean this means that we must do this for christ and christ will do this for us if we forsake everything our works our family and we come to christ empty-handed what does he do he marries us if we abandon all consider everything to be a loss he marries us But how can we ever come to do so? How can we renounce everything? From our childhood, our pride is there. And it simply just grows as we get older about ourselves. Our pride about ourselves and what we are just grows. Naturally, we think what? Well, we think we're pretty good. At least not like other men, like other people. And when we're told we're sinners and that our righteousness is as filthy rags, what's the gut reaction Denial, I'm not all that bad. And why else has our pride grown? Well, the world around us encourages it. We're trained by everyone that if you do good, good will come to you. If you're a good person, good things will happen to you. Good by their definition. And so we're proud of the good things that we have done, we forget about the things that are wrong. But we're proud of the right things that we do. And so becoming a Christian, it's the easiest thing in the world. But it's also the hardest thing in the world. Why is it the easiest thing? Well, Christ requires nothing from us in order for us to be saved. Nothing at all. But why is it also the hardest? Because we have to let everything go. We have to let everything go. We have to consider everything trash as dung before God. Everything that we've ever done is trash. We have to consider it that way. We have to kill our pride. And that's the hardest thing in the world to do. So how can we ever abandon everything and humble ourselves and come to Christ with nothing? Well, it's only by doing what the Apostle Paul did. What did the Apostle Paul do? Well, he realised every good work was actually a loss. Everything was not a credit, but was actually a debt. He realised that he was repulsive to God. Not attractive to God, but repulsive. But how can we come to realise this? How can we let it go? How can we not try harder, turn that debt into credit? Well, it's by doing what the Apostle Paul did. What did he do? He realised that everything was a loss. What else did he do? He found something better. He found something better. And what was that better thing? It was the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. There in verse 8, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. By knowing Christ's justice, by knowing Christ's power, by knowing Christ's love, by knowing Christ's wisdom and how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is with all those attributes, he, of course, let everything go, considered it a loss, considered it a liability. Why does the girl give up everything for the man that she loves? Why Because she's lovesick, she's enthralled, she's captivated. And so, of course, she will do what? She will degrade herself and abandon everything she owns. Of course, the girl will forsake family, parents, kids, everyone. If if that's what's required, I will abandon them all and come to you. Doesn't matter what her friends think. They think she's crazy. She gives it up because she loves that person so much. If we see a man who doesn't think he's a sinner, what do we see? A man who doesn't think much of Christ. See someone who doesn't think they're a sinner? They also don't think much of Christ. Because if they thought much of Christ, of course they'd recognize that their works are rubbish, that they're sin and should be abandoned. So then, how do we become that love sick girl who abandons everything? who is considered crazy by the world. It's by knowing the surpassing greatness of Jesus. By knowing the surpassing greatness of Jesus. His divinity, his righteousness, his power, his love, his wisdom. But you say, how, how, how? How can I have such great love that I abandon everything and inherit eternal life through Jesus Christ? How can I see Christ's glory more? Well, One way is by surveying the cross. Surveying the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what Isaac Watts, that great hymn writer, encourages us to do. In that hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, it's printed in your bulletins there. Open your bulletins up to that final hymn, which we're going to sing at the end of this sermon. Isaac Watts tells us how we can consider everything to be lost. Verse 1. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. How can you pour contempt on all your pride? By surveying the wondrous cross. He continues, verse 2, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to his blood. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Do you want to know Christ? the surpassing greatness of jesus christ well look at the cross by the power of the holy spirit as he reveals christ to you at the cross you will see the attributes of christ on full display you see his justice and his righteousness against sin that it takes the son of god to die in our place to make up for sin you see the power of god in being able to overcome sin there at the cross And you see the graciousness and the mercy and the love of God who would give himself for his bride. It's there as we survey the cross that we see how wonderful our God is at the wondrous cross. And it's through his death at the cross that we then see his power displayed as he is raised to life after being crucified. And it's there at the cross that we see how his righteousness comes over to our account. Our our sin goes over to him and his righteousness comes to us by faith. The effects of the cross are displayed there in our own lives as we see how we become righteous before him. And so when we see all that, when we see the love of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the righteousness of God there at the cross we can't help but say with the Apostle Paul that we put no confidence in the flesh. We consider everything that we've done to be a loss in comparison with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Why rely on me when I can rely on him? Of course I will abandon all. So let us all be that love sick girl who marries the King of Kings and continues to grow in love for him, who places no confidence in herself, no confidence at all, but all confidence in her groom, Christ Jesus, who scorns her work, who scorns her family and friends, who scorn her for giving it all up for Christ. Why? Why are we going to be that lovesick girl? Because we've seen the King's glory. We've seen how wonderful he is. And of course, we will give it all up for him as we continue to love him and grow in our understanding of his surpassing greatness. We will give it all up for him. Let us speak with him now. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you as Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are righteous, you are powerful, you are wise, and you are loving. And we thank you for revealing this to us and particularly revealing it by the Spirit as we look at the cross and we see your love and your power and your wisdom and your righteousness displayed there. And we thank you for revealing to us our sinfulness, revealing that our works are actually debts, that they do not make up for the wrongs that we have done. Instead, they become wrongs in themselves. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for putting confidence in our rubbish, in our trash, in our liabilities, and help us to be enthralled with you, to love you and desire you, continue to desire the surpassing greatness of knowing you. We thank you for revealing yourself to so many in this room. But Lord, if there is anyone who is listening now and does not love you, has not known your surpassing greatness, oh Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their heart even now and that they would understand their debts before you but Lord we pray that they would embrace the hope that you give the hope of eternal life the hope of knowing you for all eternity Lord we pray that they would come now and put their trust in you put their confidence in Christ rather than in themselves and we pray these things in Jesus name Amen